Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today, we're going to do a follow-up. We got another message from the person who asked about NATO being honest. And uh, we're going to go over it because it's... This is a process. Getting to this point is a process. Okay, didn't expect a video, but appreciate it. I read the comments and see other people having trouble, so can I ask for a follow-up? I've watched enough of your videos to know comparing Russia to the U.S. is a criticism, not a compliment. It's not saying it's okay for Russia to act the same way, and my professor gave me a list of times when Russia lied or was the aggressor. She watched your video and said, you were right in that we can't trust any power that pursues an elective war. Isn't this a bit cynical? No major power is good. All powerful countries are exactly the same and engage in imperialism. If this is the way it's always been, do we just accept it? If you and her are right, it seems impossible to hope for that better world. Lots of questions, and we'll go one by one. Okay. Isn't this a bit cynical? No, it's just reality. It's, it's, it's the way it is. And on this channel, when we're talking about foreign policy, we tend to talk about the way it is, not the way it should be. Because we can't get to where we should be until people understand what is. A lot of people don't even know what's broke yet. Uh, no major power is good. We'll come back to that. All powerful countries are exactly the same and engage in imperialism. I mean, they all maintain empires, but they're not all exactly the same. They do it differently. Russia's old school. Russia is old school. Russia changes maps. Russia changes maps. That's, that's the huge difference there. They either just take the territory and say, this is Russia now, or... They establish a new country that is a total client. It's a puppet government in the truest sense. Um, and that's not a modern way of maintaining an empire. Countries don't do that anymore, not really, because it's not incredibly effective. The United States maintains its empire mainly, and this is going to surprise a lot of people, through economic power. Not military power. Military is the backup. The U.S. empire is maintained primarily through money. Corporate logos, banks, Wall Street. That's really the front line when it comes to American empire. Because we, uh, the U.S. tends to get a country reliant on supplying the U.S., trading with the U.S. So, they, they do what they're asked, or they lose that money. And those people at the top, well, they really want it because they're getting the lion's share of it. So it tends to keep countries in line. The U.S. also uses a lot of cultural power, which is hard to quantify, but you're talking about, well, everything that you see. 
logos, movies, the general attitude that, that, that reaches all over the world. American culture is thick everywhere. Because of that, the United States tries to install democracies, right? But I think most people know that it doesn't really care if it's a democracy. It's just another tool. Because of that cultural prevalence, if you can get a democracy, you can get the average people. If they get a, a voice of some kind, it's easier for the United States to maintain control via economic power. But it's not a requirement that a country is, is a democracy. Look at Saudi Arabia. It doesn't have to be. But it's one of those things that the U.S. can use if things go sideways in a country. Well, it's time to bring democracy to it and give the people a voice. And hopefully that cultural power will win out. Right. Um, and then if all of this fails, then you have a military that, that is incredibly strong because of the economic power. The U.S. maintains its empire differently, and it's huge. The, the number of countries that fall into this category of being very reliant on the U.S. for their economic well-being and their defense is huge. It just, we don't change maps. The U.S. doesn't do it that way. China is developing their own. China does a lot of state-to-state -state deals. Like, they show up and they're, they talk to Country X and they're like, hey, we want to help make your country more stable. We'll put in a port and we'll put in some railroads and, you know, that'll increase economic activity. It'll raise the standard of living in your country and it hopefully it'll make it more stable. And I think it will in the long term. They're going to have issues along the way. But overall, I think it's a pretty winning strategy. But is China doing this out of the goodness of its heart? Or is it trying to get those power coupons, trying to get that money, right, by extracting natural resources, by taking its cut of the wealth in that country? All of the infrastructure that they build, I mean, it, it all kind of lines up with making sure that stuff can get to China so China can process it and turn it into something else, and then sell it to the rest of the world. It's all about power. I know, you say you watched this channel long enough to know what I'm saying, how many times have you heard me say foreign policy isn't about right and wrong, good and evil. It's about power. No major power is good. That's the part, that's the hard part for people. This is what exists. It's about power. And that thirst for power causes wars. I don't think that's good. 
and I, I don't care what country does it. I would prefer 19-year-old kids not get shipped off. Um, and then that last part. If this is the way it, it, it's always been, do we just accept it? If you and her are right, it seems impossible to hope for that better world. Everything's impossible until it's not. I mean, the idea of decolonization was impossible, and then it happened. Well, it changed, obviously, based on what we just talked about. Um, that better world is dependent on enough people understanding that it's broke. The international relations, the way international relations occur and have occurred isn't good. It has to start there. And a big part of that is understanding that no major power is good. That no country pursuing an elective war, as far as your, the way your professor said it, it's, it's all bad. It has to start there. Nationalism is politics for basic people. If you want that, that better world, you have to get past that point. The good news is that it isn't impossible because the world is shrinking, because we can communicate with people all over the world instantly. All of this, over time, will help shift that. It doesn't help right now, but that's where we're headed. We're headed to the point where people understand that you and I and everybody else watching this video we have more in common with the soldiers, Russian or Ukrainian, in Ukraine, than we have with our own representative in D.C. It takes getting past all of that nationalism. We have to start thinking broader than a border. We, we have to start thinking of of the world, then international politics can change. But as long as we're, we're focused on the imaginary lines on the map that, that create our country, there's always going to be that tension. There, there's always going to be that other, that external threat that can be harnessed to win elections, to maintain power. We have to get beyond that. We have to realize that we have more in common with each other, the average people of the world, than we do with those who say they represent us in any system of government. That's how we get there. But it's going to take a long time. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day.